Good morning. How are we this morning? Are we doing well? Man, it's so good to see you guys. And uh, Pastor Stan, you're, you're right, man. I do really like you. Do you guys like Sam? I love him. So honored and excited to be here with you. And uh, just, just very, um, I have so much respect uh, for this church and for your leaders, uh, Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris and Beth and uh, Skip and Donna and Sam, the whole team just uh, have really, uh, I've personally grown from their friendship and we've been cheering you guys on from afar, just down the road, a few miles in Richmond. And that's exciting to see what God is doing here in Hedgesville. Anybody excited about what God is doing here in Hedgesville? It's, it's awesome to see. And I love that God is moving and the church is growing and the church is alive everywhere we go. Um, it's not going to be on the news and you won't see many articles about it, but the church is alive and Jesus is alive and the church is growing and it's an exciting day for the church in 2019. I truly believe that there's a lot of people that are believing the worst about the future of the church, but I'm believing the best about the future of the church. And I know the leaders of this house are as well. And so we're, we're just honored and excited to call uh, you guys friends. And as always, very excited to be here, uh, to be able to worship with you and bring the word with you guys. We're, uh, a 70 days away now from launching Oasis Church in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, we're excited about that. We've got some of our team here, Kyle and Ben, are with me this morning, and we launched the Sunday after Labor Day, Sunday, September 8th, at Henrico High School, three miles north of downtown Richmond. And so we're getting ready to go and believe in God for uh, great things in our city, as I know you are here. And uh, exciting days. I want you to look at your neighbors and say, we're living in exciting days. Come on, go ahead and tell them. We're living in exciting days. If you have your Bible, I want you to take it out and go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 17. And if you don't have it, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen for you. But I'd like to read a passage of scripture today. It's a story about Jesus and an encounter he has with a group of people. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to start in verse number 11. It says this, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him and they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go. And I love this last line, your faith has made you well. Isn't that a beautiful passage of scripture? Your faith has made you well. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the moments that we share around your name here in this house. And Lord, my prayer for this morning is that you would do what I cannot, and that is change our hearts and change our lives. Lord, I thank you. You know every single person in this room, and you know their name, and you know their story. And Lord, I pray that you would speak a word right to them, right in this season, right what they need to hear. God, our ears are open. Our hearts are open to receive what you have for us. And if you believe it, somebody say amen. Amen. Have you ever maybe had plans or uh, a conversation or anything that you were doing? Have you ever had it interrupted? All of us, all the time, right? Interruptions all the time. Life, this is life. Life is full of interruptions. In my experience, some interruptions are good. Most of them are bad, right? 
Most of them are inconveniences. And uh, even last night when we got into town, uh, we, we had an interruption. We, we got in and we went out late last night uh, to get ice cream because we're really healthy in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, we, we got into town and we were at Martinsburg and we went to get ice cream. We we're like, oh, it's a nice night out. It's a nice summer night. It feels so great. And we're sitting outside and then we start to see some lightning. Y'all know last night. And they were like, oh, it's just a little bit of rain. And all of a sudden, it felt like a tsunami. It was just like, oh, my gosh. We were literally, we had our ice cream. We were like running across the parking lot, getting into our car. Like, it was crazy. Interruptions, right? This is life. This is, this is normal. We're, life is full of interruptions. And again, there's, there's some good ones. But m- most of the time, in my experience, interruptions uh, are, are typically negative. They're typically inconveniences in life. Me and you aren't the only ones to get interrupted. In fact, thousands of years ago, Jesus himself, his life, his ministry was full of interruptions. All the time, all throughout the Gospels, when you read the Gospel accounts of Jesus and his earthly ministry, when he goes from town to town and he's preaching and he's healing and he's, he's doing all these things, all the time, consistently, Jesus is interrupted. He's traveling from point A to point B, he's interrupted. He's talking with someone, he's interrupted. He's preaching in a home that's packed and he's interrupted. Somebody's coming through the ceiling to be healed. Right? Jesus, his whole life, his whole ministry, full of interruptions. Me and you are a lot like Jesus in that fact that we're, our, our lives are full of interruptions. But here's how we're different. Our interruptions in our lives are often inconveniences. But what's interesting about Jesus is he's always interrupted, but he's never inconvenienced. He has his mission, he has his plan, and it appears to be interrupted, but he's never inconvenienced, and it's because people are God's plan. It's because humanity is the heart and is the plan of Jesus. He's always interrupted, but he's never inconvenienced. Don't you love that about God? And this is what's taking place in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is traveling. The scriptures tell us he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem to do the very thing God sent him to do. He's, he's eventually he's going to lay down his life. He's going, to, he's going to die. He's going to lay down his life for the sins of humanity. Anybody thankful that Jesus laid down his life? He's going to do what God has sent him to do. On his way there, interruption. He's not interrupted by one person in this story. He's interrupted by ten. It's a group of men, the scripture says, that have the disease of leprosy. To give us a little bit of context this morning about what that meant, what that disease looked like, what it meant for those men. This disease of leprosy, it was a skin disease. You would have boils and rashes all over your skin. It was physically miserable. It was physically a death sentence. Back in that day, there were certain strands, most scholars believe, of this disease that would even attack your nervous system. So it was not rare for your limbs to totally lose feeling, to totally lose function. It would eat away at your muscles, at your nerves. This, this disease of leprosy was a total death sentence. It was absolutely physically miserable. Not only was it physically miserable, but socially, it was also a death sentence. If, if you had this disease... It was believed in the time, it was the custom, that people, people believed you got this disease because God was punishing you. They, they believed that you had messed up so bad, you'd done so many things wrong, you failed so many times, that because of your failures, God was judging you and God was punishing you, so now you have leprosy. 
So it not only physically affected you, but socially you were an outcast. Socially you were seen as a failure. Socially you were seen as someone that had messed up and you were being judged by God. You had to be removed from society because it was the custom of the day. Uh, If you thought you had this disease, you had to go to the priest and the priest would inspect you. And this is Old Testament law. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter number 13. The priest would inspect you. And if you were declared unclean, as in you had leprosy, you had to be removed from society. Because if you touched anyone that was clean, they would now become unclean. You, You would... You would contaminate them, if you will. So if you had leprosy, if the priest said you were unclean, you were removed from everything. You you can't go home to your family. You cannot kiss your spouse. You cannot hug your kids. You cannot go to work. You cannot go in the market and, and be in proximity to people in the town. You were plucked and removed from society. You were a social outcast. This is what it was like to have leprosy. And the scriptures tell us there's this group of men, there's 10 of them, There's some foreigners, there's some Samaritans, there's some Jews, and they didn't normally interact, but how many know misery loves company? So it doesn't matter where you were born if you're all headed towards a death sentence. So you got all these guys, I'm sure many different ages from many different towns. The one thing they all have in common is they all have leprosy. They're all removed from society. The only people they can dialogue or exchange with is themselves. That's who Jesus is is interrupted by. That's who these 10 men are that enter the story in Luke chapter 17. And it's really easy to read a biblical story like this and to learn the context and say, wow, it's amazing. That's, that's crazy. I can't believe they had to go through this. And that culture is so different from America and so different from 2019. And it's very easy to maybe disassociate ourselves with this group of men and, and what they were going through and what their life must have been like. But I'd like to propose to us this morning that me and you are a lot more like these 10 men than we think we are. That while these men had physical leprosy, I would like to propose to us this morning that all of us without Christ have spiritual leprosy. That while their physical disease isolated them and pulled them away from society, because of our sin, our spiritual leprosy, we've been removed and isolated from relationship with God without Christ. This is our spiritual condition without Christ. I remember a few years ago, we were in Orlando on a trip and I had my brother with me and we were driving around and we came upon a toll booth and uh, we, we, we have the easy pass in our cars. We have some tolls in the city of Richmond and you, like, you know, the easy pass is the little thing you have in your windshield that just allows you to drive right through the tolls. So you don't have to stop and throw physical money and it's just connected to your card. Right. And so we have our easy pass and we've used our easy pass for years everywhere we travel. Did you know the whole East coast uses the easy pass? Like all the way up through Richmond and DC, like you guys know the DC tolls and express lanes and all the way up through uh, Delaware and the New Jersey turnpike and New York city, Connecticut, New England. England. Uh, Even Maine uses the easy pass. Did you know there's people up there? (laughs) Found this out a few years ago. This is true. There's people there. The whole East Coast, everyone uses the easy pass. So we've got the easy pass and, you know, we use it all the time as, as, as we travel. And so we're down in Orlando and we come up upon this toll. And uh, when I say a toll, I mean a toll. All right. So the tolls in Richmond are like 75 cents, right? This toll is like $8. I'm immediately thinking, I'm like, that's a number three combo at Chick-fil-A, $8. <laughs> Come on. 
$8, right? And so we pull up to it. And you know, they, they had the little bar right there in front of the toll booth. And so you have to pull up and then the bar raises up and you can go. And so we pull up and the bar is just, it's just still. And so we're like inching forward, inching forward. And it's not moving, it's not moving. So we're kind of like stuck trying to figure it out. I take off my easy pass and I'm like moving it around. You know, I'm just like, where's the reader? Is this not checking it? And put it kind of out the window. I'm looking at the guy in the toll booth station. You know, I'm like, what's, what's going on? It's not moving, it's not moving, it's not moving. It's been like 30 seconds, it's been a minute. And you know that feels like forever when you're stuck at one of those things? Because the line behind you starts to grow and grow and grow. People start to kind of honk and wave at you with less than five fingers. It gets a little intense. It's like, ah, you know, kind of freaking out a little bit. And, and so finally, it's been 30 seconds, it's been a minute. We look up above the toll booth station and we see these words, sunshine pass. Evidently, because Florida is Florida, they just can do what they want. And no, they're the only one. They just, they, they, they had their own pass. The easy pass is no good here. They're the sunshine pass. Works everywhere else, but Florida, Florida, you're, you're stuck without the easy, easy pass. And so we quickly realized, like, we need $8. Our easy pass is no good. We need $8. We need $8. And this brother don't carry around a lot of cash a lot of times. So I'm sitting there, and we're like, oh, we got to find 8 bucks. So I'm looking at my brother, and we're scrambling. We're looking at our pockets in the center console in the glove box under the seats, like throwing coins in. He's got a buck. You know, we're throwing stuff in, throwing stuff in. And uh, we, we, we pull together a grand total of $3. <laughs> And so now we're like, now it's been like two minutes, three minutes. It's like, it's just desperation mode now. I'm like, I'm talking to the person in the booth and I'm like, listen, I got a, I got a free Chick-fil-A sandwich combo. Like, you know, like, like, like the, like the little coupon card thing. I was like, I, I got the free sandwich thing. It's worth like 250. You know, I'm literally like negotiating with this guy, trying to get him to let us go through the toll. Nothing was working. It was desperate mode. And so we finally prayed a little prayer that went something like this. Dear Jesus. May every camera temporarily malfunction in Jesus' name. <laughs> and then we just had to gas it, like, right through the toll station. And don't think I'm big and bad. They got our plates and they sent us a bill, right? So it's like, that's how that works. But, but look, like, three or four years ago, we, we, we found ourselves sitting at the, at the toll booth station without the money. And, and here's, here's the truth this morning, is if I had to pay $8 that day in August of 2015, I would still be there. I could have tried my best. I could have gave it my best effort and white-knuckled it and really hoped and really prayed and really done everything in my power. The bottom line was I did not have it. I didn't have it. Here's our spiritual condition without Christ. Did you know that you do not have what it takes to pay God's toll? I mean, you might have more than your neighbor or your cousin or your friend. You might have two bucks. You might have one. But compared to the toll God has set, we are all very short. Our sin has isolated us from God like physical the skin disease of leprosy separated them from society and from normalcy. Our sin, our spiritual leprosy has separated us from relationship with God. We might not be physical lepers today, but without Christ, we have spiritual leprosy. We're a lot like, more like these guys than we think. So this group of guys, they come together and they call out to Jesus. Don't you love that no matter who you are or where you come from or what you've been going through, that you can call out to Jesus. 
I love that these guys call out to Jesus and they call out to him full of faith. The scriptures almost paint the story. As soon as Jesus enters the village, these guys yell out to him. And the reason they have to yell out to him is because because they're unclean, they can't go close to him. They, they can't be up close and personal. They can't go right up to him. They have to yell from a distance because they're unclean. But it, it, it's almost as if you read Luke 17, it's almost paints the picture as soon as Jesus gets into the town, they're waiting for him. They're ready. They're there to yell to him for, for mercy. In fact, a few chapters before this and in other gospel accounts, Jesus heals another man that has leprosy. Jesus finishes preaching the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew, and on his way down from the mountain, he meets a man with leprosy. Jesus touches him, and Jesus heals him. So there is no doubt about it that amongst the lepers, amongst the community of lepers, that that word spread like wildfire, there's someone that can heal us. Because they would have exhausted every option and every doctor and every penny they could scrape up. They would have exhausted every option to get their life back and nothing was working. And then they get word that there's this man and his name is Jesus and he healed someone with leprosy. So there's no doubt that this group of 10 men had some faith in their hearts. We got to talk to Jesus. We got to find this man, Jesus. And he enters their town and they yell out to him. And I love that Jesus responds. I love that no matter who you are or where you go through or no matter what society has labeled you with, that you can call to Jesus and although society may stiff arm you, Jesus engages with you. Although society has counted you out, Jesus engages with you. It's the heart of God that he engages with those who call to him by faith. No matter who you are and what you've done and where you come from, you can have the attention of God if you call to him. So that's what these men do. Full of faith, full of hope, full of desperation, they call out to him. I love that these men were desperate. I think it's really easy to see why they were desperate because they accurately realized their situation without any help. See, an accurate realization leads to true desperation. An accurate realization moves you to true desperation. If you see in your relationship with God that there's not a lot of fire or passion or desperation, I would propose to you that it's because you don't accurately realize your true condition without him. I propose to you that if you could see yourself spiritually as these men saw themselves physically, we'd be a lot more desperate. If we could see the condition of our soul without Jesus, like these men saw their physical bodies, we would have some passion and some desperation in our lives to call out to the only one who has the solution. So they call out to him desperate and full of faith and, and, and Jesus responds to them, but he doesn't respond like they think. And probably not like they wanted initially. Because the word they had gotten was, hey, Jesus came and he touched this guy and he was healed. So you have to think in the back of their mind, they're thinking, maybe Jesus is going to come, he's going to lay hands on us and we're going to be healed and we can go home. But the response to Jesus is funny. Jesus just cuts straight to it. Jesus is not all about small talk all the time. Jesus isn't always, you know, trying to always be buddy-buddy. He's always trying to get to people's heart. He's always trying to get to issues. And Jesus just says, hey, hey guys, go see the priest. Go see the priest. What he was referring to there was, again, Leviticus 
Chapter number 13 talks about the Old Testament law. The priest was the one that would inspect you and declare you unclean. You have leprosy. You have to be pushed away from society. The priest was also the one that if by some miracle, somehow, some way, you happened to be healed, you would have to go back to the priest. The priest would have to give you the stamp of approval. He would have to say you're clean. He'd have to give you the thumbs up. And the priest was the one that could officially enter you back into society. Now you could go back to your family. Now you could go back home. Now you could go back into the village. The priest had to declare you clean. So Jesus looks at a group of 10 guys that are unclean and says, hey, go talk to the priest. There's no doubt about it. These guys would have been like, but we were, we were just there not too long ago. He told us we're unclean. That's why we're calling to you because we need to be clean before we go see him. Because if we're unclean, that, that you, you, you don't go back to the priest when you're unclean. Yet Jesus looks at a bunch of guys that are sick in body still and says, Go. Notice, Jesus doesn't even promise he's going to heal them. There is no word of healing. There is no assurance given. There are no subtle hints that a miracle is going to happen. There is absolutely no promise of anything. The only thing they have is a command. No promise, no assurance, just a command. Yet I love this group of ten men with no promise from God, just a command. They begin to move. Did you know faith moves on the command of Jesus, not even the promise of Jesus or the assurance of Jesus or the hope for results or the assurance for results? Faith moves on just the word of Jesus and that's it. If Jesus says it, I'm going to do it. But I don't understand it and I don't know how it's going to work out and this doesn't make any sense right now in the natural. But but if Jesus said it, count me in. These men full of faith just on the word of Jesus says they begin to move. They begin to go towards the priest. I guess they figured they got nothing to lose. What the heck? We might as well. We might as well go. And so they're on the way to to the priest. And the Bible tells us on their way there, they're cleansed. From this story and in my own experience and from the scriptures, there's a pattern. And the pattern is miracles tend to happen when we're in motion. Miracles tend to involve movement. Miracles tend to happen for those that obey by faith the commands of Jesus. A lot of times I think we wait around waiting for God to move. And I think God is waiting for us to move. He he gives them a command and in motion, in movement, on the obedience of the command, that's when they see the miracle after the obedience. Obedience and miracles tend to go hand in hand a lot of times. And can you imagine, can you imagine what that group of men must have looked like once they began to realize they were healed? They're just walking and they're walking. It, it, it probably was not a long walk. They, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. They uh, were, were not too far. And so they're on their way. And can you imagine the moment where they begin to realize? They begin to look and they begin to see we, we, we're clean. We, we, we don't have... Can you, can you imagine like the high fives and the fist bumps and the hugs and the shouts and the celebrations? Like we, we get our life back. We get to go see our family. We get to go home. We get to like we're everything in a moment, everything about these guys' lives, everything changed just like that because Jesus healed them. 
Can you imagine the excitement, the passion, the celebration, the facial expressions? Can you imagine what that group must have been like when they realized everything, everything just changed in a moment? The Bible tells us nine of them continue on to the priest. And the reason they went to the priest was because although they were healed, they still needed the thumbs up from the priest to go back into society. So what these nine men were doing was they were going to get the thumbs up. They were going to get the approval from the priest so they could go back home. The Bible tells us there's one man who stops. Instead of going with the nine to the priest and then home, says he, he turns around and he goes back to Jesus to thank him, to, to worship him. And I'm not really sure about you guys, but I, I, don't like, I don't like those numbers. I don't like those percentages. One out of, one out of 10 went back and responded to God with praise. But I think it's really telling of my life and of our lives that prayer, prayer can be easy and convenient, but praise is rare. Prayer can be easy when you need something, but praise is more rare when you get what you wanted. Prayer is even popular when you need something, but praise, not so much. But this one man gives us an example of going back to worship Jesus, to throw his life down at his feet. See, 10 men prayed, but only one praised. And what I pray for my life and for our church and for your church and for your life, I pray that we would not just be people of prayer, but we'd be people of praise. That we would live a pattern of of praying and praising and praying and praising and pray. it's not either or it's both and that we would live a life of faith full of praying and praising I, I, I pray that we're the one out of ten that goes back to give God the praise that he deserves in our lives and there's a few observations I have about praise that I want to encourage you with as we strive to live lives of prayer and praise this morning I have three things that I want to give you really quickly the first one is this Praise is not just thanking God for what he does, but for who he is. Praise is not just thanking God for what he does, but for who he is. See, when this one man, when this Samaritan, he was a foreigner, he was even socially as a Samaritan, he would have been seen as an outcast. When this man comes back to Jesus, the Bible is really clear. This is not a courteous, hey, thanks for that thing you did for me, sir. Appreciate that. This is not a little golf clap, handshake. Man, that was, that was really kind of you to you know, give me my life back. Thanks, you know, thanks for doing that. Heal me. Appreciate, appreciate that good thing you did. No, no, no. This is not a casual thank you. The Bible describes this man running back, throwing himself at his feet in worship. This is not a thanks for what you did. This is a I believe you are God. I believe you're God, I believe you're the Savior. This was a surrender of his life. This was a transformation. This was not a courteous thank you. It was worship. You know you're maturing in your faith when you can continue to worship Jesus when nothing in your life is going like you think it is. 
You know you're maturing in your faith when you praise God more for who he is than what he does for you. If nothing in the exterior is going like you want it to, a mature follower of Jesus can praise and thank God just as much and just as hard. Because true praise, it's not just thanking God for what he does, and that is good, and we do praise him for what he does, and we're grateful for what God does in our lives, but we also praise him for who he is. Look, if all you ever do is praise God for who he is, you'll never run out of things to praise him for. Man, God is, God is so much bigger than we can even imagine. God is infinite. There's, you can be following Jesus for 50 years and learn more things about him every single day. If we just praise him for who he is, we'll never run out of things to praise him for. True praise is not just praising him for what he does for us, but for who he is in our lives. Who he is. Number two is this. Praise resets our priorities. Praise resets our priorities. I'm picturing these 10 men in their group, once they realize they're healed, nine of them continue onward to the priest. And the reason they do that is because they want their life back. The only thing, since they've gotten leprosy, the only thing they can dream of and think of is, I want normalcy. I want my life back. I want my family back. And upon realizing they were healed, all they wanted, all they fixated on was, I want my life back. I want my stuff back. I, I want me, right? I, 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 wanna, I, I, want what's, I, I want what I want. But the one, there's no doubt about it. He wanted his life back. There's no doubt about it. He would get back to his life eventually. And there's no doubt about it. His life and his family and his town are very important. But it's almost like he realized in that moment that there's something more important. All those things are good. All those things are gifts from God. All those things deserve my time and my attention. But there's something else that's better than all of them. And that's Jesus. See, when... When you praise him, what it does is it resets, it refixes your priorities. When you praise him, Jesus becomes bigger in your life and everything else in your life begins to fade away in light of how great God is. See, the thing that you focus on always gets magnified. And so, so living a life of praise is magnifying Jesus and letting the things of this world Fade away in light of who Jesus is. All those things are important and there's great gifts and good gifts that God gives us and they get our attention and they get our time. But compared to Jesus, man, none of that stuff's that's great. If you find yourself maybe getting your priorities out of order and, and there's a lot of other things fighting for your attention that you know are not God and you know God is just getting pushed down your list of priorities, I'd encourage you this weekend before you start your week tomorrow morning, get alone and begin to worship God for who he is and praise him and God will become bigger and your priorities will begin to shift and reset because of praise. Praise resets our priorities. And finally, number three, is this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and help me finish. Number three is this, praise doesn't just honor God, but praise transforms us. Praise doesn't just honor God, but praise transforms us. I love verse number 19 of this story. 
when this man comes and worships Jesus, Jesus' response to him is interesting. Jesus looks at the man that came back to praise him, and Jesus says this. He says, rise and go. And again, that's the grace of God, that he's still going to let him go back to his life. Jesus is not asking for him to not go back to his life. Jesus lets him go back to his life. He says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And when you just read this at surface level, this could be confusing because you would think to yourself, he's already well. Why does Jesus say you're made well? You're already well. That's why you came back to worship Jesus, because you're now well. In fact, all 10 men were well. They all got healed. But when Jesus looks at the one and says, you've been made well, he's not talking anymore about his physical body. He's talking about his soul. Don't you love the grace of God that he, he knew nine of these men would never come back? He knew nine of these men would never worship him. He knew nine of these men would give him one ounce of praise, yet he still healed them. Don't you love the grace of God? But there was one that came back to praise him, and Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Look, that day in Luke chapter number 17, nine men had healing faith. One man had saving faith. Nine men had their bodies healed. One man got a new heart. Nine men were physically restored. One man was spiritually made alive. Look, I don't know about you. I don't just want to have healing faith. I want to have saving faith. I don't just want to have faith for what God can do for me. I want to have faith in who God is. And I want my faith to, 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 to matter on the inside of me, that Jesus would transform my heart from the inside out. I don't just need my body healed. I need a new heart. I don't just need Jesus to provide for me financially. I need Jesus to give me a new heart. I don't just need Jesus to guide my path and show me which direction I need to go to. I need Jesus to transform my heart and renew my soul. I don't just want healing faith. I need saving faith. And this man, through prayer and through praise, received saving faith, a new heart from the Savior of the world. Isn't that beautiful? I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask if we would all just bow our head and close our eyes. I'd like to pray for us. And then what I'm going to do is we're going to just take 30 seconds on our own and we're just going to worship God for who he is. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, and that it shows us who you are. And Lord, I thank you that it shows us that you engage with all of us. You desire to move in all of us. Lord, I pray for the person in here that feels unworthy and feels too far gone and feels too broken. God, I pray today that you'd show them that you want to engage with them. God, I pray that you would show them that you're close to them, that you're not far off, but you love them and you want to restore their life. You want to redeem their life. You want to bring them back to you. Lord, I pray for everyone here, God, 
as an individual. And Lord, I pray for this body as a church. Lord, help us to live a life of prayer and praise. Lord, help us to be the one that goes back to worship you. Lord, may we live a pattern of praying and then praising and praying and praising and praying and praising because of who you are, Lord, because of who you are. Church, for the next 30 seconds, just on your own, just between you and Jesus right now, would you just thank God for who he is? Don't ask Jesus for one thing. Don't bring any need before him right now. We can get to that, but I just want you just to thank him and praise him for who he is right now. Just praise him for who he is and allow the Holy Spirit to reset your priorities this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to transform us from the inside out. Would you do that for 30 seconds on your own this morning, church? worship you because of who you are today, that you are on the throne, you're the King of kings, you're the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, you're the Lion and the Lamb, you're the soon coming King, you're our ever present help in time of need, we worship you because you are God and you are God alone and there's no one like you, you are holy, you are worthy. You are love, you are patience, you are kindness, you are gentleness. Lord, we worship you because of who you are. Lord, may this not just be something we do in this moment, but may this be a pattern of our life. God, as we drive in the car and as we're in our workspaces and in our homes, God, may we honor you and worship you and lift you up because of who you are. You're a good God. And we love you this morning. God, we lift up this church to you. And God, I believe that the best days are still in front of them. Lord, that their greatest signs and wonders have yet to be seen. Lord, I pray for every person in this church, every leader in this church, and pray your special anointing and blessing over them in their life. Lord, we're believing that the season that you're taking us into is a great one. And we're excited for it and we worship you because of it. In Jesus' name. And if you believe it, can you put your hands together and give God some praise and some worship this morning?